Hi everybody, I'm Katie. And I'm Rhiannon. And welcome to Haunting Cases. Welcome in, Re. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Finally, I think I'm getting over this cough thing. Um, so that's that's nice. It's been like I think a month now of having the cough, so I'm I'm really happy for it to finally seemingly be going away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that feeling. I feel like you sent me like an internet virus, except it wasn't from my computer and it was for me. <laughs> Because somehow, miraculously on Thursday, I was like, oh, I got a sinus infection, which then developed into a hacking cough over the weekend. Granted, I, I haven't been as sick as long as you, but it's still like residual, like the cough is there and my throat oh, yeah. is definitely yep. kind of just like over my shit. <laughs> oh yeah, I definitely know that feeling from a few weeks ago and it was really bad. Oh. Yep, I guess that's just how it's going to be, is as soon as one of the two co-hosts recovers, the other one's now sick. I guess this is the way the world works. We couldn't just be sick at the same time and just get it over with. I know, right? Just one big way and we get it out of the way and it's like, nah, I don't think that's going to work. Gotta spread it out, spread it out. Gotta spread that love. At least, that's like... Right. Right now, my throat definitely isn't, like, having its conniption fit that it has for the last three days. Although, I can feel with me talking, it's getting a little dry. So, there might be some pauses for me to take water. You guys obviously won't hear it, because that's future Katie's problem to deal with. <laughs> As is the robot noises in the background. Uh, my fiancé got a 3D printer for his birthday, and he's ecstatic about it. Except I didn't think about the fact that it's got a loud blowing fan and also makes them like ee, 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 ee noises. And so as we're going to be recording, there'll probably be a little bit of that in the background and future oh, Katie God. is going to try to edit that out. But if some of it comes through, I'm sorry, listeners, we will plan ahead a little bit better in the future to have no 3D printing at the same time as recording. I will try my best. You might get a message from future Katie like right here stating how she kind of hates her life and what she's doing <laughs> but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it later this week <laughs> oh um, man anyways I don't want to hold you guys in our banter for too long today we do have a pretty serious case that we're going to talk about and I want to get you guys flushed into our trigger warnings pretty quickly While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox, or contact those involved with cases. While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. 
do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. episode, we will be discussing cases involving more than one of the following. Children, sexual assault, domestic violence, and suicide. As always, listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know has a child who has been victimized, please call the proper authorities and look at missingkids.org or call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's hotline at 800-843-5600. Seven, eight, for more helpful resources. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault, please reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. If you or someone you know has been a victim of domestic violence, please reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. And if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or ideation, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Now, back to the show. Welcome back from our trigger warnings. Re, I hope you enjoyed that catch-all. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> Something to look forward to. <laughs> All right. Today we are actually talking about a young girl who went missing out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Sophie Reeder was described as a sweet girl who was introverted with new people, but extremely outgoing and extroverted with her friends. She loved music and would listen to a range of different artists such as Nirvana and Tupac, but her most recent jams were from that of Alana Del Rey. She liked collecting art and what her dad categorized it as was like a French or Gothic style. To which, seeing some of, like, the artwork that she had up on her wall, it had that, like, almost Renaissance feel to it. Yeah. And most of it appeared to be, like, painted out pictures or um, printed out pictures that she's collected over time. Mother's Day of 2017 was a day spent with 15-year-old Sophie Reader and her mom, Nicole Twist. They went out to eat, shopping, and afterwards, Nicole dropped off Sophie back at her dad's house. However, the two did make plans to reconnect later after Mother's Day weekend. Sophie's parents had been separated when she was around the age of like three to four years old, and although the two did try to rekindle this relationship when Sophie was five, it didn't really work out. Sophie spent her childhood moving between her mother and father's homes before Sophie started living with her father, Patrick Reader, full time. 
However, her mother was still allowed to visit regularly, and the two parents were trying to figure out a custody agreement. Unfortunately, though, this put Sophie in the middle of a very stressful situation, and her behavior began to change. She was becoming angry, combative, and she thought that living with her dad would make her the happiest, and so she decided that she wanted to live with her father full-time. Sophie did manage to maintain a good relationship with both parents, however, but according to her grandfather, the year leading up to her disappearance, Sophie would slip between the two houses without warning either of the parents. Additionally, with gaining a more rebellious behavior, she had also started to have trouble in school, even though her grandfather noted her as being a very smart young girl. But ultimately, this caused Sophie to change schools frequently until she had to resort to taking classes online. On the night of May 19th of 2017, Sophie had made a spaghetti dinner for her and her father, after which, around 11.30 p.m., she began pacing between the front and back door of the Fort Lauderdale, Florida home, seeming somewhat anxious. Patrick figured that Sophie was just being a typical teenager skipping around and told her to go to bed as he was preparing to do the same. When he woke up the next morning, he went into Sophie's room. However, Sophie was gone. In the room, she left a candle burning on her dresser and her laptop was still set up on her bed and a cell phone was on her nightstand. When asked if Sophie had ever taken off in the middle of the night before, Patrick answered with, not that I know of. However, it's possible that she may have taken off and come back before I'd woken up. Sophie's dad recalls blowing out this lit candle, noticing a date on her calendar for May 19th marked off with an X and then directed his attention to her laptop. Upon waking the computer, a message displayed on the screen saying, where did all the sad girls go? He notes that he doesn't know how long the screensaver had been on her computer because he didn't invade her private space. Patrick further notes that Sophie's room was basically her sanctuary and she spent most of her time in there alone, which for a teenager isn't super abnormal. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time by myself either in the basement or up in my bedroom. Oh yeah, yeah, I definitely spent a whole lot of time in my room alone for sure. Sophie's grandfather was one of the first people to know that Sophie was missing. After Patrick called him on the phone, notifying him that Sophie wasn't in the house. However, from what I gathered on multiple sources, it didn't seem that any alarm bells were going off completely yet, as it wasn't unusual for Sophie to leave without telling anyone. And Patrick figures that maybe she'd gone over to a friend's house or she was visiting her mom. Additionally, Local 10 News did mention that Sophie had run away previously, but it was only for about a day and then she came back. Sophie's grandfather called Sophie's mother, asking if she'd seen her, to which Nicole states that she hadn't. This is when the family becomes more nervous as they begin calling everyone they know who might know where to find her. Now, real quick, you said that the May 19th was crossed out on the calendar. Is that the same day that's happened or was that a different date? I'm, I'm trying to remember what you said. So May 19th is the date that she presumably left the house. I see. Okay. So 
it's crossed out on the calendar and nobody really knows why. Yeah, yeah, okay. Detective Jason Wood, who was one of the three detectives heading this case, recalls Patrick coming into the station on May 22nd, 2017, to file a report with law enforcement. Patrick told officers that he originally thought that Sophie may have been with her mother. He also notes that it wasn't unusual for Sophie to leave without warning, that after a day and a half of waiting, he began to think otherwise and decided to make the report. Investigators' initial thoughts of the situation were that she's a runaway. However, this changed very quickly upon learning about the circumstances of the still-burning candle, laptop, and cell phone all being left in her room, as it was unlikely that somebody that was running away would leave these items. It seemed as though she planned to come back. Further investigation into Sophie's room and personal life, though, began to make detectives more concerned that something more sinister was at work. Within Sophie's room, they found $300 cash on a shelf in her closet, a fake gun, the cell phone on her bedside table, but their main target in this investigation was the laptop. Sophie, like any teenager, spent a lot of time online using it for chat rooms, website browsing, talking with other people, and studying. According to Sophie's grandfather, she was a little too active on the computer, and when he asked her to get off of it when Sophie would visit, her response would be, no, Grandpa, no. Sounds like a lot of kids nowadays, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that. I'm like, I can see that. So what investigators found on Sophie's social media accounts were pictures of her being made up to look older than she actually was. And during the time that Sophie was left unsupervised on the laptop, it was apparent that it gave time for certain individuals to try to create relationships with her. Detective St. Jean talks about journals that were found on this laptop as well, where Sophie would basically write diaries about her depression and anxiety. There were also links within these journals leading to sexually explicit sugar daddy websites. Additionally, it was found that Sophie had created multiple profiles on different dating apps intended to connect younger women with older men. Friends of Sophie were aware of her internet activities and told detectives that she was trying to find a sugar daddy, even stating that she was looking for love and attention and just someone to take care of her. Unfortunately, this resulted in taking some darker avenues in the process. Her friends also mentioned that she was getting money from someone, however, they didn't know who this individual was and what extent she was going to to get this money. Uh. Nicole also mentions how one day when Sophie was around 14 years old, she went looking around Sophie's room. Nicole found a backpack tucked underneath her bed. Inside the bag was a bottle of liquor, some clothing items such as a garter belt, in fishnet stockings and wigs. Nicole obviously asked where she got these items. However, Sophie never gave her a straight answer. This initially rang alarm bells to Sophie's mother, and she began to grow more concerned with the websites Sophie was visiting. Yeah, for sure. For a girl that young, that's definitely not appropriate for her to have those kinds of items in her bedroom. No, well, absolutely I mean, at, not. At least... Not together. I mean, if it was just the wigs or something, I would be much less concerned. But with all those things in one bag, 
that's very concerning. Yeah, like I remember having multiple wigs around the house when I was in middle school and high school, but I was also doing theater and drama, so oh yeah, there's yeah. there's reason for those to be there. But yeah. yeah, when you take into consideration all these items lining up, that's like a huge red flag of what is going on. Uh, yeah, very concerning. So additionally, Sophie's friend Eliza came forward with information that she was possibly into the dark web. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Which, if you think of it, around that time of 2017, like, the dark web was a popular, like, emerging media topic, and video games like Welcome to the Game were released in 2016. I believe the second one was actually released in 2017. And then there were YouTubers that began just making content regarding their explorations on the dark web. Very similar to how, like, Creepypasta was big when we were in high school, in middle school. However, we're not talking about fictional beings or monsters when it comes to the dark web. These are real people. The term dark web refers to a part of the internet that cannot be accessed through standard web browsers, but requires special software configurations and authorization, primarily using the Onion Router or Tor browser, which can mask an IP address when exploring the dark web. Although many users access the dark web for its legitimate purposes because of its anonymity, it also provides uses for criminal activity, including trafficking of drugs, firearms, weapons of mass destruction, child sexual abuse material, and malware, among other illicit goods and services. Eliza also mentions that as she and Sophie got older, Sophie would mention how she needed to get some money and wanted a sugar daddy. She first started mentioning this around the age of 14 years old, and Eliza really didn't take it seriously. She thought she was joking. Yeah, yeah. But Sophie was actually serious about it, and she would end up meeting with older men in their 40s and would primarily meet these men in chat rooms and other websites, along with going to parties late at night. Eliza recalls that Sophie and a friend had gone out one night and they were drinking in a motel with some older men. Sophie called Eliza at some point that evening hysterically crying and confided in her that she had been sexually violated. Oh no. Eliza told Sophie to go to the police with this information, but Sophie declined, stating that she didn't want to because she didn't want to remember it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that, regardless of age, anyone who's been raped or sexually violated, for sure, Mm -hmm. that's something that can prevent people from pursuing law enforcement. Absolutely. So with this information, law enforcement began to broach the topic that Sophie may have fallen victim to a predator or human trafficker. The cell phone left on the bedside table also gave an interesting story to detectives, mainly being that this was not the only cell phone in Sophie's possession. The one that was left on her bedside table had about 12 contacts in it total. The other, which I presume was a more personal device, was on her person at the time of her disappearance. Law enforcement began tracking the phone on her person with pings. 
On May 20th, 2017, Sophie left the home on Citrus Isle around 12.45 a.m. According to the police records, she walked down the street and meandered in the area for a little while before going on southwards to Andrews Avenue and then again came back north on Andrews Avenue. At some point, she made her way to Davy Boulevard between the 100th and 400th block before going to the Boward Medical Center. And then finally, she made her way towards Strattonhand High School. And I apologize if I said that incorrectly. I've heard seven different pronunciations for that. So (laughs) where she used to attend in a nearby home on Southwest 11th Court. This was the last spot that Sophie pinged at and her phone was theorized to have either gone dead, was turned off, placed in airplane mode, or destroyed. There is surveillance video that was taken from several different businesses near Southwest 18th Avenue and Southwest 11th Street of Sophie walking around. She is wearing a very distinctive set of clothing that night. Her hair is up in two buns, or as we call it in popular style today, space buns. And she was wearing what appeared to be a fur style coat with some possible animal print on it, a black dress from what I could see, with some Converse styled sneakers and a pair of Dre Beat white headphones. She didn't appear to be in a rush, anxious, or afraid, simply that she didn't have really a specific place to go or be at, walking nonchalantly and just kind of being in her own set of thoughts. More surveillance footage was released in 2019 of her walking in a neighborhood. However, I'm not positive of where that video may have been located at. Additionally, Callahan Walsh, does make mention of how he theorizes that the reason Sophie was spotted and caught on surveillance in so many different areas that evening may have been that she was visiting different buyers. Now, in addition to using the cell phone to track some of Sophie's movements that night, detectives discovered that the 12 contacts in this phone, there was one that was a known convicted felon. And it just so happened that this individual resided in a home off of Southwest 11th Court. Don't like that at all. Now, this home was the known residence of Anthony Leonard and Jeremiah Jennings, three brothers. From the cell phone records discovered, it was apparent that Sophie knew one, two, or possibly even all three of these men that lived there. In fact, the contact she had was to Leonard, and it was the most used contact in her phone aside from her father. Wow. When friends of Sophie spoke to detectives about this, they told them that the two had some form of relationship. So we're going to break down some of these individuals one by one. Now, this is just based off information that I got from John Walsh's special for Sophie in his In Pursuit series from ID Channel. Anthony Jennings was 42 at the time of Sophie's disappearance. He also had a lengthy rap sheet with a total of 11 convictions and four incarcerations. Leonard Jennings, the one that she was in contact with, was 37 years old at the time of Sophie's disappearance and is six foot five inches tall, and has a rap sheet with a total of three incarcerations. 
Jeremiah Jennings was 31 years old at the time of Sophie's disappearance and has also got a lengthy rap sheet with a total of four convictions. Well, the brothers got something in common, at least. Mm, They're all kind of digging into trouble from what it sounds like. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, for sure. Now, in Callahan Walsh's episode for In Pursuit, The Missing, there is apparently a record of 30-plus violent crimes on one individual or possibly a mixture of all three with relation to domestic violence, assault, and weapons charges. Seven weeks after Sophie went missing, police showed up at the Jennings residence with flyers regarding Sophie's disappearance. They responded with a taunt of, come back with a search warrant, which on July 12th of 2017, police did just that. What was found in the house were a collection of computers and cell phones, and it was estimated that there were more than 10 cell phones in the residence alone. Oh my goodness, that's definitely not what I would consider normal for a group of three people. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have like my old cell phones that aren't active, but they're like definitely kind of like tucked away somewhere. They're not being used. So I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. Apparently, there was also a pair of headphones that were taken from this home at the time, according to a private investigator that the family had hired, and this investigator believed that they belonged to Sophie. However, detectives heading this case have never disclosed if this is true. Unfortunately, this search basically led police nowhere with information regarding Sophie's disappearance. However, Anthony did have an arrest warrant out, so they were able to detain him for that and ask further questions at the department. Leonard and Jeremiah also went into the station later that day for interviews conducted by Detective Wood, and during these interviews, the men denied knowing Sophie or even ever have meeting her. So wait, wait. Which of the two was that? Was that including the one that we yeah, know the one she that's in touch with? got the cell phone? Okay, that's what I thought, but I just <laughs> wanted to number. verify. <laughs> the guy, she has the cell phone number too. Is just like I don't know her. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're just really hoping that law enforcement doesn't have the cell phone that would point to that. But come on, come on. Uh, I don't know because I figure like. In order to obtain a search warrant, you have to have probable cause, which means that they had to have some leverage to get it, meaning that they know something is there. Yeah. Which, from what my understanding was, it was that the cell phone records indicating that that was the last spot that she pinged was enough to warrant a search of the property, along with having Leonard's phone number in there. Yeah. Detective Jean mentions how there was a mutual contact as well between the Jennings brothers and another well-known individual for law enforcement, John Mobley, who Detective Jean and other investigators believe is involved with human trafficking in the Florida area. Additionally, individuals like the Jennings, this individual has an extensive record with the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. His criminal record, or rap sheet, as we previously called it, is more than 20 pages long. Oh my god. Some of these charges are ranging from drugs to assault. 
and other crimes of that nature. Jeez. Now, he is believed to be involved with the circumstances of Sophie's disappearance. There is speculation of there being some form of operation going on that evening when Sophie arrived at the Jennings residence. After all, Sophie had walked down the street that Mobley also lived on because he shared the neighborhood with the Jennings. There was also a phone call that was placed from one of the Jennings brothers to Mobley at 5 a.m. on May 20th of 2017. When officers attempted to interview Mobley, he used very explicit language and told the detectives to come back with a search warrant. Unfortunately, though, there was not enough probable cause to substantiate a search warrant for Mobley's residence. Now, unfortunately, none of the items that Sophie was seen wearing in the video have ever been recovered, and her cell phone has never been found. Detectives have traveled to multiple states following leads and are using connections to hire law enforcement agencies to link any possible online pictures of explicit websites to Sophie. Numerous properties have been searched as well, and there has been use of cadaver dogs, dive teams, and marine units during these searches. Detectives Jean and would believe that Sophie was either entangled in the horrifying world of human trafficking that night or something happened and is currently being covered up. They also believe that someone saw something happen that night and has not come forward. Patrick states, like many families in this horrifying situation, you can't have closure until you know what happened. Patrick also mentions that he's kept his daughter's room the same way it was when she left that night on May 19th, 2017. Pink flowers, her antique dolls, and stuffed animals decorate the space around, along with her gothic French-styled paintings and drawings hanging from the walls in hopes that she'll one day come home. He sometimes goes into her room and sits on her bed wondering where his little girl is. Nicole believes that Sophie went out that evening with every intent of coming home. However, someone else had different plans for her. In a 2021 interview, Nicole states, She is missed. She is loved. There is nothing that she has done that would change the fact that I want her. As of right now, the Jennings brothers are considered persons of interest, and police are hoping that somebody will come forward with additional information further linking them to Sophie's case. It is unknown for sure if Sophie was with the Jennings brothers or Mobley that night, however. One thing is for sure, Sophie has never been seen since the early hours of May 20th, 2017, and her family is still waiting for answers. Sophie Reeder went missing on May 20th, 2017 from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her date of birth is February 19th, 2002. She is currently 20 years old and will be 21 this year. She has brown hair and brown eyes. She is five foot one inches tall and weighed around 120 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She has displayed interest in modeling and wanting to go to California, as well as possibly changing her name to Ella. There is a $25,000 reward for key and legitimate information leading to Sophie's safe return or the prosecution of her offender. 
If you have any information regarding Sophie Reeder, you are urged to call the Fort Lauderdale Police Department at 1-954-828-5700 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. And that's 1-800-843-5678. Sophie's case is not unique. Many children walk out of their house under voluntary circumstances, whether that is to take a walk or they are choosing to run away. But ultimately, something changes during their outings and that no longer becomes the case. It's important to remember that Sophie is a victim. In 2017 alone, there were more than 30,000 cases of missing children reported to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. More than half were classified as endangered runaways. Oh my god, my heart breaks for them. Mm -hmm. While any child can be targeted by a trafficker, research data and survivor testimonies have revealed that traffickers and buyers often target youth that lack strong support networks have experience with violence in the past, are experiencing homelessness, or are marginalized by society. When youth feel that they are not loved, supported for their identity and voice, or that they don't belong somewhere, they become vulnerable to unsafe situations. Traffickers and other predators are master manipulators and prey upon vulnerabilities using psychological pressure false promises for actions of perceived love and support. Then they will use intimidation and control to sexually exploit the child for their benefit. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children does mention four different types of child trafficking, specifically child sex trafficking. The first one is a pimp control trafficking, where the child is then trafficked by a unrelated individual, being that male or female, who often develop a relationship with the child, which is later used as leverage for exploitation. There is familial trafficking, where the child is trafficked by a relative or a person who is perceived to the child to be a family member, such as a auntie or an uncle that are not directly related to the family. There's also gang control trafficking, where the child is trafficked by a member of a gang or trafficked by a gang. The gang uses leverage of their organizational structure, violence, and local, national, or international networks to instill fear and loyalty into the child victim. Then there's the buyer-perpetrated trafficking. The child is being trafficked but does not have a trafficker being directly exploited for the use and offering of money, food, shelter, and anything else that they might want in exchange for sexual exploitation. Wow, I never really thought about all the different ways that child sex trafficking could occur. It's incredibly sad and heartbreaking, and my heart, like you said, goes out to all of those children that are in this circumstance and anyone else outside of like the childhood scenario adults people like oh, yeah. amy lynn yeah. bradley that have mm -hmm. just disappeared and unfortunately 
investigators have some knowledge of what might have happened. However, there's just not enough evidence or information to make a formal arrest. Human trafficking is horrifying, and that is the only way that it can be put. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely would not wish that upon anyone. And that's horrifying to think that children are being taken advantage of, especially in difficult circumstances, like you were saying, if they're homeless, if they don't have a strong support network and they're going through some challenging times, it's <sighs> utterly horrifying that adults would take advantage of that, of a child in a an insecure environment or just in a, just not a, a great headspace or physical space for that matter. And, and use that to their advantage to pull the child into that sort of sphere. Yeah, and I mean, even Melissa Snow of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's Trafficking Unit states that when we think about child sex trafficking, the most common form is when the children are targeted and recruited by a pimp, then later advertised, usually online for sale. And children are usually lured into sex trafficking using online social media sources, websites, and dating apps. All of these links create opportunities for traffickers to engage with children. And they will target the individuals that look like they're expressing low self-esteem or having possible turmoil in their family life and home life such as coming out as gay and your parents not being understanding of that and not accepting you, possibly kicking you out, children experiencing sexual assault in the home and already kind of feeling like there's that numbness to sex. And then oh yeah, on top of that, another one that she mentioned was your parents getting divorced and just not knowing where you sit with that. Oh yeah, there is a number of things, unfortunately, that can cause turmoil inside the family life or household of a child and that's i think that it's important to remember that this does happen and i mean i hate to say it but nowadays i i think you know divorce rates have probably gone up compared to like historically and i think part of that's a culture shift that it's uh I guess, uh, more power to the woman in a way. Like, you don't necessarily rely on your husband as much as you used to to mm -hmm. be able to, like, be self-sufficient in the world. So I think that's part of it, but that's probably not all of it. But yeah, but not just divorce. Like you said, we still have plenty of families out there that unfortunately are not accepting if their child comes out as gay or trans or any other part of the LGP LGBTQ plus spectrum. And there, there's other things that could be going on there. I mean, there's definitely, um, regardless of anything going on in the household, you know, sometimes children and teens, even adults, struggle with mental health issues. Absolutely. So there, there's any number of reasons that a, a kid could be struggling with low self-confidence or just anxiety, depression, different internal um, struggles uh, that are often connected with the environment around them. And so I think it's important to remember that when people think, oh, that would never happen to my kid or that would never happen to my nephew, my niece, that kid down the street that I know, you know, just remember that these things 
are out there and it's important that we try to provide these kids with as strong of a support system as possible if they need mental health help get them their, the mental health help they need you know get, give kids good mentors give them good other adults to look up to besides just the parents not saying the parents aren't important they're very important but i think it's good to have other adults as well that children can trust and look up to whether that be teachers or other family members um whatever the case may be but just being mindful of these things because i think especially in america it's easy to forget that these things still happen like children being sex trafficked and I think it's really important that we remember this does happen and we need to do what we can to provide our kids with as strong of a support system as possible to try to protect them from things like this because like you said kids run away and even when they don't run away you know they might just, like you said they might just be going for a walk and things can happen mm -hmm. and so if there's anything we can do to try to make it so that hopefully they're not being targeted in the first place but also give them the the confidence to hopefully feel comfortable talking to people if something feels off, if something feels wrong, if they've gotten into an unsafe situation to feel comfortable coming forward and, and talking to a safe adult about that. I think those are all important things to consider and remember. Absolutely. And breaking that stigma, similar to mental health, of every oh, yeah. child that's had a previous runaway on their record and suddenly disappears. It doesn't necessarily mean that that kid is a runaway. Like, oh, yeah. using that excuse from a law enforcement standpoint just feels lazy with trying to put forth investigative work. Granted, there is money and funds that go into investigating missing persons, but to say that every child is obviously a runaway because of ABC might not be the case every single time. And honestly, I would figure people would rather be safe than sorry and investigate a missing child's case. Oh yeah, I think especially because if you write them off as a runaway and then you're waiting X number of days to then realize, oh wait, maybe that's not the case and then start getting into that investigation, that's valuable time that has been lost that clues that could have potentially pointed to what happened, where did they go, you know, may not be there anymore. And so I think it's definitely important to take every case seriously and really give it your all because that family i mean even if it does turn out to be a runaway situation you have a family that's looking for their kid and and wants to know that they're safe and sound and wants to have them back in their arms and they're in their home and and even again in the case of a runaway even if that's what's going on you know the kid's probably still not in a safe situation in a lot of those cases mm -hmm. if they're out on the streets if they're staying with somebody who maybe isn't the safest person to be staying with so I think regardless of whether it's runaway case or not, any missing kid case really needs to be taken with the utmost seriousness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just to end off this episode, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month and Prevention Month in the United States, and January 11th is recognized as the National Day for Human Trafficking Awareness. Human trafficking can happen to anyone at any time and anywhere. Traffickers prey on individuals of any age, race, sex, and social status, and there are millions of victims per year globally. In the United States, as of right now, California, Texas, Florida, and New York are the leading states for human trafficking. 
If you have somebody in your life that you believe is being trafficked and you don't want to involve law enforcement, there's a 24-7 hotline that you can call at the Anti-Predator Project. That number is 305-796-4859. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's Hotline was listed in the trigger warnings for this episode, but once again, that number is one 373 7888 or text 233733. That number again is 1-888-373-7888 or text 233733. If you want more information about human trafficking in the United States, please check out the United States Department of Justice Office for Victims of Crime website. That includes references and resources for victims and those wishing to help. Additionally, there are resources and references on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's websites regarding safety online and other steps to take if your child has gone missing. Please don't wait. Have the talk with your kids today about safely browsing the internet. Thank you again for listening to Haunting Cases Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunting Cases Podcast and on Twitter at Haunting Cases. If you have a listener tale, story request, or any questions, email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, what do you say, listeners? Are you